0: Hello, I'm Ariel
1: Kroon. And I'm Christina Della Rocha.
0: Welcome to Season 4 of Solar Punk Presence.
1: The podcast introducing you to the people working today to create a future we'd like to live in. Because if solar as a genre of fiction dreams about the just and sustainable world we'd like to live in in the future... Solarpunk as a movement rolls up its sleeves and gets down to the business of bringing it about in the present.
0: We hope you enjoy this episode, but first we need your support.
1: Come join our Patreon at patreon.com/solarpunkpresence for all sorts of good stuff like bonus clips, dispatches, photo essays, and early access to episodes.
0: Or you can spread the word by writing our podcast a review
1: or recommending us to a friend. Or you can do both. And be sure to visit our beautiful new website and catch up on our blog at solarpunkpresence.com. And now, on to the episode. Welcome to Season 4, Episode 4 of Solar Punk Presents. Hello listeners, Ariel
0: here, and today on the podcast I'm talking to Dr. Sarayan Mukherjee from the University of Alberta about a board game. It's not just any board game, though. This one is called Perfect Storm, and it's designed to teach players about climate change and its effects on life as they play the game. I'm excited to learn more about it. And Sarayan, welcome to the podcast.
2: Hi, I'm very happy to be here. Thanks for inviting me, Ariel.
0: Uh, Could you introduce yourself a bit to our listeners, like who you are and what you do?
2: Uh, My name is Sarayan Mukherjee. I'm a sociologist and political ecologist um, at the Department of Sociology at the University of Alberta and i'm also the director of the intermedia research studio which is a particular research facility at the department of sociology at the university of alberta i'm also uh, one of the one of the research team members of a project called speculative energy futures and it was in relationship to that research project that uh, i developed this game perfect storm
0: what is perfect storm I know it's about climate change, and I know a little bit about it, but could you describe its features and gameplay a little bit for our listeners?
2: Perfect Storm is, as I call it, a a feminist renewable energy system change role-playing game. So it's a role-playing game, and it has as its kind of the, the action in its fictional world is that of embarking on a process of energy system change. To get to the kind of core of it, I guess, is that what it tries to do is to uh, broaden the frame of discussion regarding the politics of renewable energy transition in Alberta and in Canada. Uh, So it takes place in a fictional world called Great West Colony. People play this in small groups, ideally three to four people, and you play a particular avatar role that kind of invites you to sort of then enter into a, a, a fictional world of doing things to move the, the world towards some kind of renewable energy system uh, change.
0: Like, for example, could I play as like the government or uh, the city or an activist?
2: Yeah, yeah. there are a number of uh, different uh, roles or different avatars in that regard. and the, There is a role that is the government of West, Great West Colony there's basically two sets of um, avatars. Uh, Some of them are all kind of corporations. So for example, clean oil is one of the avatars that that you can play. So you're basically playing the role of the oil industry. There's another one that's, um, it's basically the electricity grid. So you're uh, kind of a startup company, um, in a sense, an IT company that's trying to Build a new grid or to bring into the world a new grid a smart grid of some kind that will be um, suitable for clean energy so that it's not it has the, the technical parameters so that you um, so that fossil fuel driven electricity you, you can move away from that it'll uh, work for other forms of energy production kind of kind of thing so you're trying to bring that into the world so there's a number of these corporate a- uh, actors that are pursuing their business plans in terms of making a green transition. But very importantly, there's a whole set of civil society avatars. There's an avatar called Indigenous Energy Action, there's an avatar called Feminist Energy Futures, there's an avatar called um, the University of Great West Colony, there's an avatar called um, uh, the Great West Labour Congress, and so on. So these are civil society avatars, and they too have, the game sets them up to explore different ways of thinking about energy system change. In this respect, I suppose it would be worthwhile to sort of talk a little bit more about the context of this game and the context of why it is that I've been working on this and so on which is, has to do with, as I said, broadening the frame of discussion in Alberta especially, but Canada more generally, because we have a kind of a dominant approach to thinking about energy system change, which is entirely within the framework of green growth, of thinking about uh, energy system change as a problem of a sim- simple kind of techno fix, where we switch out uh, coal and oil with solar panels or windmills and so on, nuclear as, as well. And all we do is we switch out gasoline engines with uh, electric motors and so on. What's missing in that view of or that approach to uh, thinking about the way to move forward with the climate crisis, with uh, our energy mix and so on, is a, a very important issue that on the one hand, Indigenous people understand in a different kind of way, small farmers and subsistence uh, producers in the global south understand in a different way, but political ecologists talk about this as uh, what they call social ecological metabolism and the acceleration of that and which your your listeners will be familiar with all of this. I'm sure they've all seen those graphs of resource depletion and resource use and so on, which kind of have this hockey stick like shape throughout most of our history uh we um Barely use resources and so on, and then there's a major uptick that happens with the industrial Revolution and the use of coal and, and fossil fuels in um, our economy and then another major uptick that happens after the second world War as the, the United States replaces the British Empire as the kind of global political leader of, of our, our economy and then another big uptick after the fall of the Soviet Union and in the 1990s is as China and this former Soviet space enters into the American-led economic space and so on. So uh, what you have at that point, this is that very, very steep slope of all of those curves, whether we're looking at biodiversity loss or we're looking at mineral consumption or we're looking at CO2 emissions and so on, is that the consumption rates are just going through the roof. Even though we've had like 20, 30 years of the Kyoto Protocol based discussions about uh, the climate problem, absolutely no change in those trend lines whatsoever. This has to do with the, with the fact that within a framework of economic growth, these problems of environmental degradation and global warming just simply cannot be solved because they're being produced by a design feature of our economy. But to, to come back to the, to the game, what we do in in the game, we invite players to really think about all of these issues from the perspective of households, and this is why it's a feminist role-playing game. We want to foreground a kind of feminist perspective on these topics that are otherwise very, very patriarchal and very, very phallic in many kinds of ways. I mean, to be a to be an expert in this, you, you you have to speak in a phallic voice kind of kind of thing if you get what I mean,
0: right? What does that mean speak in a phallic voice?
2: Well, it has to do with the way in which uh, authority, knowledge, scientific authority, and knowledge, and so on are connected to a h- historical form of power that is widely called patriarchy. Um, and that the ways in which our our institutions historically have been shaped and designed and built by patriarchal power in various kinds of ways, so that we have all kinds of uh, blind spots, or we have all kinds of, to use a better metaphor than that, we have all kinds of forms of forgetfulness and forms of unthinking that comes out of those institutional arrangements, things that we never think about as being important and as being Of maybe even greater priority to larger numbers of people. To give you an example, this is the key uh, example that's relevant here, which Mm -hmm. is that in most discussions, and this this is maybe beginning to change a little bit in the Canadian context, but for the longest time, both in in the Canadian context and in, in various global fora and so on, the thinking about climate resilience and climate adaptation, climate preparedness and so on, of sustainability itself has usually been thought about as how do you protect critical infrastructure from storms and floods and you know various kinds of disasters that we can now have a really palpable sense that they're, they're, uh, they're already here kind of thing right now what we do is instead of thinking about climate adaptation climate resilience and sustainability as a question of critical infrastructure how to build better dams, how to have better sewage, uh, how to have electricity connections, communication connections that can withstand a disaster scenario and so on, or even building houses in climate-friendly ways and so on, is we ask ourselves, we, we, we define sustainability as the intergenerational reproduction of households and the ecosystems on which they depend. So if that doesn't happen, if you don't have the intergenerational reproduction of households, and you don't have the intergenerational reproduction of ecosystems on which households depend, there is no sustainability at all. So we're really shifting a perspective here. So one part of the game, the very first part of the game, is all of the avatars are asked to think about what their sort of fundamental daily needs are and what their hopes and aspirations and wants for their lives are for you know, in the present and in the future and, and so on. And then to kind of ask themselves, how will they provision these needs that they have? Will they get them, will they th- themselves do this in their household? Like, you know, will you bake your own cake and all that kind of stuff? If you want the if that's what you want to have for you know, a birthday party this, uh, today or something like that? Or will you uh, get what you need from the market? Or will you get what you need through the public sector? or will you get what you need through a social economy comprised of cooperatives commons these these kinds kinds of things so people have to put together and there's a, there is a sort of list of basic needs that have to include things like food education healthy environment clean air peace all of these things that are fundamental to human thriving and, and so on but people are also invited to Create their own list of what it is that they consider to be fundamental needs and fundamental values in terms of their uh, expectations of life and and so on. And then they're asked, how do you want to organize this in terms of how you get access to it? Because if you choose to get this from the market, that has various kinds of implications. If you choose to get this from a public service, that has other kinds of uh, implications. If you choose to do this right through just your own household well that means a lot of work but and it has a lot of implications and so on if you want to do this through the social economy that has other implications and so on so but this is to sort of set people up to then think about the the kinds of energy transition pathways they want to pursue in relationship to these basic household reproduction needs that they so that you don't forget about that aspect of it
0: right right? yeah it sounds like this game is really causing or asking people to be very introspective and to really think hard about these basically supply chains and then also to think about energy not as just you know like the energy infrastructure but also you know like how much energy do you have to make your own bread every day you know (laughs) absolutely yeah So how much energy do you have to, you know, go out and and say, talk to your neighbor, that sort of thing as well. So quantifying that as well. So as I understand it, you've been using this game for the past little while as sort of a learning exercise in classes and even situations outside of the university. Is that right?
2: Uh, Yes. And in in fact, we're um, in the midst of another kind of uh, version of it, kind of uh, a a revision and a redesign in in a certain kind of way. So I'm very excited about that. I'm working with a great, a wonderful game uh designer. And his name is AC at Atienza. He's based in Toronto, he's a, a professional game developer. And we're basically trying to, to uh smooth out some wrinkles in, in the game and so on. So there's a new version of it that that'll be uh, hopefully ready within another year's time kind of thing. But in the but I have I've been working on this now for um at least five or six years kind of thing. It started started as a game that i used in the context of a course that i teach fairly regularly at the University of Alberta so it was designed as a kind of um supplement to to course materials and course requirements This is a way of getting students to to be able to do class participation in a more engaging kind of way mm-hmm. it had its roots in a game that i developed for uh, that was uh, looking at uh this was the time of the northern uh, uh gateway pipeline uh, debates that were happening in the country and the National Energy Board hearings and so on. And so, uh, the first game that I designed was looking at the the politics of the that pipeline project, and it was a way of teaching that those issues to the students. And so, I had the students play different roles in in that whole scenario, as that pipeline uh, uh, never happened, kind of thing. They got it's still in a kind of mothball state. Um, the um, I, I redeveloped the, or developed a new game that dealt with energy transition more generally kind of, kind of thing. So it began in the, in the classroom. So it was designed with those parameters in place because you have a limited amount of time, but you have several weeks. And I designed it that way. But then that doesn't work outside of the classroom context mm-hmm. because the structure of time is different. So then I designed it to be a thing that you could play in a two to three hour workshop on energy transition kind of issues where you had a group of people in in the room, and uh, you could use the game to explore these issues. And one of the things as I, I meant to mention, I guess, is that in especially in the Alberta context, one of the things that we have here is this incredible intimidation that people face, intimidation from our governments, intimidation from the oil industry, and so on. So that there's quite a lot of uh, fear in people, ordinary people, when it comes to talking about and thinking about this issue of energy. And this is what led me to, to thinking about this in terms of a game framework to begin with, because it is a game, it's, uh, it's only a game, it's a fantasy world, um, that that in playing that game, it's a way of sort of getting around those kinds of sensors that we adopt, uh, that we place upon ourselves, so that you're able to, in the context of playing a game, Start thinking about things in a different kind of way and 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 speak with other people in the context of the game in other kinds of kinds of ways, right so the game is really designed in that regard to um, enable people in small groups and in larger groups to provoke conversation and so I've done that with you know various co- campus groups I've done that done run it a few times with other groups of people. Uh, both activists and researchers. And and um, we're hoping that um, we'll be able to roll it out uh, in a bigger kind of way once the final version of it's
0: ready. Oh, that would be so cool. I am interested and curious to know what have been sort of the most surprising takeaways for you from your time teaching this game or sort of supervising other people playing it, you know, like any responses to it that sort of stand out in your mind?
2: Two or three, I suppose, do i mean one one is that I remember both students and activists who really wanted to play the role of clean oil um, mm-hmm. uh, you know and play a position that they in their lives kind of uh, opposed in various kinds of ways because they wanted to have a better understanding of what kind of drives the oil industry and what drives uh, the corporate sector and these these kinds of things to get a better better sense of what it's like to be in that space and to think in that kind of way so that that was one thing i mean i suppose it's not maybe all that super surprising but i i was kind of thrilled in a, in a way that that when some of these people said to me yeah that's i really picked that role because that's what i wanted to learn more about and mm-hmm. and so on people are are always surprised because Our framing of this issue in most public discussions, certainly in the media, certainly by our our politicians and so on, are all within this idea of a very narrow way of thinking about what's possible within our economy and that we keep capitalism going on the one hand and we add some solar panels and some uh, uh, windmills to it and that's going to be our solution. This game often is... Um, for people a realization that um, there are lots of other possibilities, mm-hmm. that there are other political movements that exist in the world that are arguing different different things. To give you one example, the degrowth movement, which is growing now in, in Canada, but it has been much larger in Europe, and that there are versions of the degrowth movement, if you think about indig- what Indigenous people are saying in Canada, both about decolonization, sovereignty, and the kind of Kind of relationship to the land and the kind of relationship with other people that they want. It's very much a kind a, a social economy that is not predicated on endless growth, mm-hmm. on the accumulation of money into larger piles of money by any means necessary. Kind of thing, and this is also the case with many other people around the world. And people are always surprised that wow, this all this exists in the world and it's a possibility. But we don't hear about it. we don't know about it here. That's one key aspect about it as well but the other thing that you know this is when when you're designing a game you you are hoping that it's gonna be fun to play right and you're trying to you put a lot of time and energy into trying to make it fun, and especially a game like this that has so much what's the right word for it i mean it it has um ideas and concepts and heavy (laughs) yeah it's heavy heavy issues in in that kind of kind of way the fun part is a big challenge right Mm -hmm. um and so the the fact that people do enjoy playing it is has been i suppose the greatest surprise and positive uh experience that i've had out of that kind of thing
0: so this season we're focusing on sort of housing and urban design and i know you talked about um city resilience and urban adaptation strategies to climate disaster and so i'm just sort of I was curious to ask you about sort of maybe a concrete example of of what Perfect Storm was a scenario that maybe makes people think about, about this sort of thing.
2: I think that one of the things that Perfect Storm would add to our, our public discussions and debate about this is the central importance of decommodifying housing. Mm-hmm. If we're going to deal with the issues that we're facing, everything from the housing crisis itself, uh, as it now exists, everything from the fact that young people can't access hou- housing, affordable housing, and so on, all the way through to how we have to transform the housing stock and uh, urban infrastructure and so on, if we really want a resilient society that can live within the bounds of nature and, and so on. Right? right now, our dominant approach to housing is to turn it into a a project of speculation where very, very wealthy people and not so wealthy people, you know, people with some savings and so on, can hope to make more money placing bets on real estate. And that's how we deal with housing. And this is completely unsurprisingly has led to this massive polarization between a demographic group that owns housing that has sitting on mountains of wealth mm-hmm. and other people who are sleeping rough. And there is no market-based solution to this. We live in a country that has very limited control over even being able to create jobs because mm-hmm. given away that power to corporations and that they've offshored all of that uh, elsewhere, right? So you need a very uh, systemic kind of transformation to happen where uh, you have governments that really put the priorities of people before everything else, right? Right. Right. And you develop a kind of public housing strategy in this kind of way. Um, I think that Canadians really need to to, uh, learn a lot from the experience of Vienna after the First World War, where they went through a similar kind of situation, a massive crisis of the First World War. The Austro-Hungarian Empire collapsed at at the end of the First World War or or through the First World War. And so Vienna became the center for this massive refugee movement of people coming from all over around Europe and there was no place for people to live there was a massive housing crisis that uh, emerged from that and vienna invented the world's first public housing strategy as a result of that uh, on a massive scale and viennese architecture viennese decor um, design all of these things are still world famous that comes out of that particular moment when what was at the time called red vienna grappled with this problem and invented a whole set of solutions. Now wow. their specific solutions will not work for us as a carbon copy, but we have much to learn from that historical experience as we do from other other places where this question of a housing crisis was uh, addressed in ways that are egalitarian and collective and so on.
0: I think we could stand to learn a little bit from, you know, history because these problems I guess the scale of the problems that we're facing is new, but maybe I don't think that the problems that we're facing are as unique as people might think.
2: Yeah, there is. I mean, people talk about these kinds of things as a wicked problem. And I really disagree with that in a fundamental kind of way, because a lot of this is not rocket science at all. That, you know, we have out of our, out of human history, a whole set of knowledges, toolkits, insights, and so on. That are very, very applicable and effective in the present. What we have is a problem of the, con- the massive concentration of power in this world that a small group of people have managed to concentrate such tremendous amounts of power. Now, that may be a wicked problem, mm-hmm. but it, that's a problem of politics, not a problem of, oh, uh, you know, this calculation is so complicated that I need to build a supercomputer the size of Jupiter to solve it. I mean, you know. That is completely a mystification of our present situation.
0: I'm trying to think of the definition of wicked problem. When you <laughs> say it, I know exactly what you mean, but I don't know if I can articulate it quite Well,
2: out. But it's so big that we don't have any solutions for it. It's, it's you know, that's in essence what what it, what it, what it means uh, or how, how people want it to mean kind of thing.
0: Okay, it's just sort of a tangled knot. Of, yeah,
2: yeah, 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 yeah,
0: yeah. yeah, yeah. yeah. Well, it sounds like Perfect Storm is really provoking people to think through maybe some of those threads of that yeah of knot and sort of put themselves in the shoes of other people and also imagine how things might be differently. You mentioned that it's currently being redesigned. And um, so can anyone then play it or are you... Um, sort of revising it for more of a pedagogical tool right now or sort of what that's a good
2: question no i mean uh, the the um what we are trying to do is i mean this is always the, uh, the the key problem in any kind of game design is how do you with every kind of piece of the mechanics of the game how do you minimize the learning curve and maximize the fun we're kind of going through the game to sort of try and do that to make it more easily playable without I mean the thing about it is is the smaller the learning curve quite often that means the the b- more boring the game is because it's just mm. you get to the end too, too quickly kind of kind of thing there's a kind of challenge there right and this is where uh, AC is great I mean he's got tons of experience and and um, you know I'm really enjoying working with him we're trying to make the game smoother to play and easier to learn how to play while keeping the specific kinds of content that has to do with the politics of energies and the feminist politics of energy system change to keep that in the foreground, I mean there are like a, a number of different kind of political strategies that that are out there in the world, so we're speaking to each of them. so there's i I mentioned green growth capitalism as as one way of thinking about energy system change. There's also the, a movement the climate justice um, movement has an idea about the green New Deal. Uh, which is another kind of way of, of thinking about this that has its pros and cons. There's the, the uh, indigenous and degrowth social economy kind of based model that also involves a, a public sector, but one that's reorganized in a very different kind of way that also has uh, social economy plays a much larger role and all that. So these are things that we're trying to keep in in the game. But we really want the game to be kind of played within a two to three hour workshop setting so that you can play it for, let's say, an hour or two hours or so and then have time for people to reflect and talk about talk about the, the game, talk about uh, what they've learned from the game and so on. How we're going to make it available, I mean, one version of it will be that it'll be on a, on a website okay. and download the pieces that you need, print out things and then play it that way. We might do a box set version as well that could be borrowed from your public library or some something like that uh, would be my ideal model. But that we, we haven't got there yet, so I haven't figured out those kinds of details yet. The first st- step that we're trying to do is to make it available so that people can simply download it and play it. And that different organizations, whether they're an activist group, whether they're a community organization, whether they're some kind of civil society organization that wants to do some kind of. Programming with their constituencies or with their community to learn more about energy system change and so on that they'd be able to download it and you know the game kind of requires somebody to be a or a couple of people to be a facilitators, but mm-hmm. that I want to make that as easy for people to learn how to do so that anybody can do it without our research team having to kind of show up and and do it for you kind of kind of thing, which is the way we've been doing it so far.
0: Does it have a web presence now? Is there a place where we can go to sort of find out more about the Perfect Storm game?
2: I think the um, the Just Powers uh, website, which is the website that is the kind of main website for mm-hmm. uh, speculative energy futures and a, and a set of collected uh, research projects, there is a uh, a page on Perfect Storm. There, there may be a version of the game accessible there um at, at the moment i have it up on a, a google site at the moment uh, that's part of the U of A's uh, university of alberta's um, suite of tools and so on and that's mm-hmm. how i use it with students and you know people on on campus and that kind of thing once the the new version is ready uh we will have it up on a public website where people will be able to go and download download it I haven't actually tried to do this, which is to Google perfect storm and see what happens, but your listeners are, um, invited to try and find it that way.
0: All right. And that's perfect storm in quotation marks. So Mm -hmm. we don't get, you know, a thousand, you know, um, definitions of what perfect means and then (laughs) what's. All right. Well, thank you so much for talking with me today. Um, and I feel like there's still so much that we could chat about to do with perfect storm, to be honest. Um, yeah, I'm really excited to see it, um, sort of, or to to know that that I will be able to see it soon yeah. online. That's, that's really cool, because I think I played it in a workshop, uh, but it was years ago. And so I'm sure that that was an earlier iteration of it. And yeah. um, I really look forward to being able to play the most current iteration.
2: Great. Well, I hope, hope that someday soon you will be able to, and it'd be also wonderful to, to have you here to play it as well, kind of thing, but we'll see oh. what happens. Yeah. yeah. <laughs>
1: All right. Well, thank you very much.
2: Thank you, Ariel. It was a great pleasure. Thanks for having me on.
1: And that's a wrap for this episode. <music> thank you for listening to Solar Punk Presence, a podcast hosted and produced by Ariel Kroon and Christina Della Rocha. The audio for this episode was recorded in part on the traditional territory of the neutral Haudenosaunee and Anishinaabe peoples, and in Germany. The opening and closing music for this podcast is Water Cooler Gang by Monkey Warhol, available for use under the Creative Commons Attribution 4.0 international license. Don't forget to support us on Patreon at patreon.com slash solarpunkpresence. Every little bit helps us keep bringing you discussions and interviews. Until the next episode, keep dreaming and stay solar punk.